Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss the release of DDR5 RAM. Does your DDR4 RAM now belong in a museum? Are the performance gains worth an upgrade? What is DDR anyways? We're going to cover all of that right here for you. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner where Wendy will continue the discussion on how to use the camera in your pocket. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing? Well, I haven't actually done something yet, but I am Shame. planning. I I am planning to upgrade my hardware. Ooh. Well, at least somewhat, maybe not not everything. But uh, I've been having some issues with uh, a service that we use for Destination Linux recording to do the video uh, capturing, and that's because of, we use something called Video Ninja, or it also used to be called OBS Ninja, and it's really cool. It's very powerful. It's got a lot of great features. However, it uses a feature built into OBS that's kind of limited in terms of it needs a lot of resources. And while my CPU is not super old, it's... It's old. It's it's kind of old. It's not super old. It does it well. It does it well enough for the most part, but it, it, it constantly gets to the point where I'm worried about it. Like it's never it, it crashes OBS every once in a while, but I am actually once a week nervous that it's going to crash. So Hey Wendy. Wendy. Yes. His processor is so old that it uses Ben Gay as thermal paste. <laughs> Wow. Now that I thought I old. was the one who did dead jokes. What yeah. is happening? I got what one. What is in. happening? So I'm looking at possibly getting a 5800X for the Ryzen 7 series. And this looks like a, a reasonably priced uh, CPU as well, which I'm kind of surprised. I, I expected it to be like not in stock or super price gouged or whatever. Um, but I'm thinking about that as well as that will also require me to get an upgrade with a motherboard, right? Oh, yes. Yep. You're going to want a new motherboard, and this is going to be a whole game changer for you because the 5800X is what I run, so that's why I recommended it as a CPU here. It's just fantastic. You've actually reached the limits of a CPU in, in the Ryzen family because you have like a 2700X currently. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, 2700X, yeah. So you've been with the motherboard that you have and the CPU that you have combined. You've actually reached really kind of the limits with a particular piece of software. And it could be that the software requires tons of resources. It could be there's resources that or ways that that software could be improved to not use so many resources in the future, but you've reached the max of that CPU and now you need to gain in some generations there to be mm. able to do the work that you're wanting to do. And I think that's kind of fascinating because rarely do we take these components that we put in these systems to their limits as everyday users. If you're a graphic designer, you're rendering massive 4K or 8K video, those type of things, you start to hit those limits real quick. But you know, Back in the day, your computer was quite 
a great machine and you've been using it and having no problems, but now you've reached the limit with it, need an upgrade. And that means fun for me usually too. Like help you pick out parts. Yeah, you'll help me pick out parts and also maybe even help me set it up. You know, that could be an, a cool video we could do for the channel or something. But this is something that I, I think that I could kind of squeak out more performance with the structure, but I'll have to kind of redo how I do their show for DL because it does, the, the main hit is that, you know how a lot of people talk about Electron apps are really heavy and all this other thing. Well, yeah. there's, there's basically Electron apps inside of OBS and they're called browser sources. So essentially it is a, it's a, a source that is, a, is just a Chromium browser inside of the thing. However, in order to do this, I effectively have to have eight of them running because they, we have four hosts, and when I connect to them in the d director's room, that's four connections of, a, of Chromium and then another four for the OBS. So it's because of Chromium being the, one of the worst efficient browsers ever that creates this issue. If I could find another solution, I could probably squeeze the 2700X out farther uh, but, you know, this is a good excuse to get more hardware. And as I've learned on this show, you can never have too much. I think you'll be able to see a big difference, too, because you're talking the PCIe 4.0 with your M2 drive. So that's a potential upgrade for you in the future. But also having isolated channels for your memory, like for this motherboard that we're talking about here, the, the MSI Mag X570S. And then if you utilize Wi-Fi at all, of course, you're going to have your Wi-Fi 6 and things as an option as well. And we're mm. probably going to want to boost your memory at some point. But the point is, overall, we're just going to have a bigger bus all the way around for your components. You're going to have a faster processor. And if Video Ninja can take this thing out, then there's a problem with Video Ninja. So we'll know for sure then. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 I'm, we're getting the hardware just so we can test Video Ninja to give them resource information. <laughs> Science. Perfect. Exactly. All right, Wendy, what have you been up to in the hardware world? I talked a little bit about this on DLN Extend 78, and that is phone shopping. So here is a little update from that show, if you've listened to it already. If not, go back, check it out, because there I talk about some of the things that are really important to have in a phone upgrade. Well, one of the ones in talking to Magneto, and I guess I need to preface who that is. I had somebody recently ask me on Mastodon, who is Magneto? For all of you who are new to the show, that is my husband. He got that nickname on this show, and it's spilled over onto Extend or whatever. So if you hear us talking about Magneto, that is my husband. He was <laughs> saying that... Having a headphone jack isn't super important to him, and I was thinking that this is one of the things that he really still wanted, but no, that's more for me. So he doesn't necessarily need a headphone jack, but I do because I use my headphone jack all of the time, mainly when I'm listening to audiobooks at night. They help me sleep. I'm not giving up my audiobooks, and on nights that I really am not sleeping good, the audiobook will run pretty much all night long. There is no Bluetooth headset, earpiece, whatever that can give me that all night long playthrough, like just good old fashioned earbuds and a headphone jack. So he doesn't need one. He uses a Bluetooth headset pretty much all the time when he's at work, dealing with things. 
hardly ever talks directly onto his phone. So that kind of changes up the aspect of what he needs when it comes to finding a phone, which makes it a lot easier to find one for him. And really, we're wanting to keep price down on this mid-range phone is typically what we've been doing for the last, I don't know how many years. And that seems to be the, the perfect combination between getting hardware that works really good and not feeling like you're having to take out a loan or give up your first child in order to get a new phone. And there are so many in that price range now without headphone jacks because for some reason, they've pretty much gone away on all devices. Uh, Apple's fault. Yes, it is Apple's fault. Really they is. started this and everybody else has jumped on the bandwagon. So it's all their fault for following. Like it's the whole, hey, if you saw your friend jump off a bridge, would you? And Samsung was like, yeah, of course I would. It's sad how how little they, like there are so many companies that are making these phones that are trying this something super interesting like the folded phones or all these other things. But they're so like weak-willed when it comes to like the basics of stuff, they just follow whatever Apple does. They're even following the terrible, stupid, we won't give you a charger thing. Like, why? Why do, you, why do they all think that Apple's decisions are always the best? It's, it's really and the weird. charger in the box is always the best charger, typically. It's the one that gives you the fastest charging and the best compatibility if you need to transfer files back and forth on your system. Having that specific cable that comes with the phone is so much of, I wouldn't say a bonus, but necessity in use that it's really frustrating that their company's not providing that cable in the box anymore. Absolutely. Or they charge you extra and then tell you, like, it's for eco eco-friendly, and then they send you another box with another yeah. shipment with more gas spent. Like, ugh. They, the thing about your, you said that you were looking at the mid-range phone. Have you found uh, some phones that you are considering? There are a few that I'm considering. We did Samsung devices quite a while ago, and I think that's the direction my husband wants to go again, mainly because the antennas in them seem to be a lot better than a lot of devices on the market. And when it comes to top of the things on his list, Having a really strong antenna, having a really strong antenna that gets signal even when signal's a little patchy or a little bit weaker. So having one that can still make that connection for phone service, even when we're high up in the mountains, and there's just enough signal. So when he's been out in the mountains this last here few months. His buddy's Samsung phone is getting service where his phone isn't. We have Motorola devices right now, and Motorola used to be amazing. I was going to say, they're kind of known for having the best. Not anymore. They don't seem to be. And that switch for us in our devices really seemed to take place when Lenovo bought out Motorola, and there's just been a downgrade and how well the antennas work anymore, at least for us in our experience. They haven't worked as good as they used to. And that's one reason why we switched to Motorola devices in the first place, because the antennas in them used to be absolutely amazing, but they don't seem to be tops anymore. Well, that's unfortunate. I have a Samsung S20 that I've been playing with recently, S20 Plus, and uh, I'm so disappointed with Samsung 
and their overlays and specifically their privacy policy. It is so abhorrent. It makes, um, well, it makes Facebook's privacy policy probably look okay. It's really not good. And then we look at Bixby and everything they try to throw on top of it, their own version of their own stores. And they're just constantly trying to agree to turn on these other services that they have. So you've got Google services running in the background. You've got these overlay of Samsung services running on top. You don't really have a lot of user control for turning these features off or removing certain apps from it. To me, Samsung is a complete mess. I mean, I think Android's a mess, period. But Samsung takes it to a whole new level of mess with their overlays, whereas my kids all have Motorola phones. And I actually was quite pleased with the fact that they didn't have so much junkware and stuff kind of forced on you and all these different overlays. But there is the new Google Pixel coming out, which, interestingly enough, is one of the cleanest phones you can really get when it comes to an Android, as far as you're going to have the Google apps on there, sure, but they're not going to have the forced Facebook icons and all that other gibberish stuff on top of there. So that might be an option to check out, because that phone we should be covering here coming up soon. Um, Well, actually, we covered it in a prior episode, but it's going to be releasing here soon. It might be something worth checking out, I think, in the next week or two. Yeah, I think the Pixel is one of those that also is, you know, that line is used by a lot of the third-party ROM stuff, like Lineage OS and uh, Calyx and stuff like that. So if the, if the antenna is good in that, that might be worth checking out. I have actually looked at that phone, not necessarily the newest one, the 6, that is going to be dropping here soon. I believe it's dropping in October for actually being able to purchase and have in hand. But they released an update to the 5, so the 5A recently. That seems like a pretty solid phone. It's got a lot of great features to it, especially in the mid-range price range. And I was thinking about getting that one for him. The only downside is I haven't been able to find reviews that really focus on the antenna. And I don't want to get him a phone that we're thinking is great along the lines and he's still not getting very good service. He doesn't close down apps ever. Like Magneto, once he opens an app, it stays open forever. <laughs> that Magneto, I tell you, it's not his fault. The app's just automatically <laughs> open because they think he's pushing all of them at once when his hand yeah. goes near the phone. That's There really you go. That's a great excuse. <laughs> yeah. So having all of those extra services running on top of the phone is not good for him. And I know that's probably one of the reasons why the Motorola's have been good is because they do keep the UI nice and clean. And the additional features that they throw on top really have been awesome. And those are the ones you can turn on or leave off whatever you want to do. But they're the gesture style features. So flicking your wrist to, I believe that one turns on your flashlight and shaking it no shaking it is turning on your flashlight and flicking your wrist will bring your camera up it is amazing how helpful using those sensors for quick actions like that is well let us know what you decide because we're i'm I'm definitely curious about what you end up getting for magneto because we also have a follow-up every time to do the test did it survive magneto yeah can a samsung survive (laughs) magneto I will be needing to make the decision really, really soon. He recently got an update to his phone and is having some additional issues on top of the fact that it's now almost two years, which is an amazing lifespan for him when it comes to a phone. And 
I'm pretty sure if it doesn't break on its own in the next week or so, he'll probably finish it off on purpose. So I'm on my quest to kind of replace all of these Apple things, closed garden that I've been in, as we talked about in the last episode. And one of the things that I used a lot was the, was it the Apple earbuds, ear pods? What do they call it? iPods? Air it's not pods? iPods. AirPods. AirPods. Yeah. Maybe that, whatever pod thing they are that go in your ear. Well, I use those all the time, not for my audiophile stuff because they're terrible for that. And that's not even what they were meant for, but they're so convenient with their charging case and being able to take them. If I'm, for instance, mowing the lawn on the riding lawnmower, I can put those in and they have noise cancellation. So they cancel out a lot of the noise, not all the noise of a lawnmower, but enough of it. You can still hear your music or listen to a podcast or when I'm working out at the gym. I want to get rid of the stupid inspirational music and listen to a podcast or listen to music that's not inspirational while I work out or whatever I do. And I don't want to hear that background noise or people trying to talk to you or anything else. So I want something with noise cancellation. I want it small and I want it to have a charging case. It needs to be portable. And I don't want to have to remember I have to put it on the charger every time. So it needs to be able to very convenient to carry around with me. So I did a bunch of research and I came across the Jabra 85Ts. And I freaking love these in-ear buds. They are so good. They have amazing audio noise cancellation options in there. They have several versions of the noise cancellation, so several layers. You can have somewhere you hear some of the background noise. If you have kids and things in the background, if you want to tune everything out, you can hit that as well. Uh, and then they have kind of your in-between settings that you can set with these. So you've got a bunch of active noise cancellation options depending on the environment, like if you're walking and you need to hear traffic and that type of stuff. So that's really good. The sound quality is fantastic. The audio codec supported SBC and AAC. They have six microphone technology in here as so I've taken calls on them. Sounds really good uh, for the people that I've been talking to about the, the audio quality that's coming through these things, even though there's no mic anywhere near your face, which is quite amazing. They're small. It's got a nice charging case that's USB-C, by the way, and they have lots and lots of battery life as well with them. Music time with these, 25 hours. Nice. Oh, wow. Mine's now, I've never tested that, hours, but that's what, they're, yeah, that's what they're rated. I haven't tested the 25 hours, but that's what they're rated at with these is 25 hours total. That's 5.5 hours with the earbuds themselves and you get 19.5 hours from the charging case so that's a little bit tricky right they're kind of like saying hey you could put them back in and you could charge them every 60 minutes you know they're full charged again uh from the charging case itself but if people have never used these type before the charging case has a battery in it so when you're if the charging case can recharge the earbuds themselves so you don't even have to plug in both units there and I could tell you after weeks of working out with these every day and things, I basically charge them only the time it takes for me to get to my house to the gym. That's the only time they're on USB-C. And I've never had to do anything else. So they're only getting the small charge from my USB adapter in my car and they're sitting in the console. And from that 10 minute drive there and the 10 minute drive back, they're always fully charged and ready to go which is quite amazing in my mind. And like I said, the sound quality is fantastic. The noise cancellation is fantastic. You've got lots of settings inside the app to change for the type of music that you want to listen to. I love everything about these earbuds. So if you're looking for 
a pair of earbuds you use with any phone, any device, not walled garden device, than these Jabra 85Ts for working out. They stay in your ear perfectly, whether I'm benching, whether I'm running on a treadmill, whether I'm doing the elliptical, it does not matter. They stay there, put exactly where they're supposed to be. They're actually far more comfortable than the air earbud, AirPods, whatever the heck they're called. I looked it up, AirPod. Weird name. Thank you, yeah. AirPods. And I know a lot of people complain about the AirPods and them not fitting their ears quite right because that is one of the downside of that Apple device. They are one shape. You can only get them in that one shape. And so they don't fit everybody's ear. And a wonderful thing like the Jabra is they have the multiple different ear cups that you can adjust for your ear to make sure they're the most comfortable. Now, in this style... Is it using just that little piece that sticks into your ear or is there some extra pressure? Yeah, it's just the piece in your ear, which normally fails terribly, especially when you're working out. But the way they've designed the weight on these and the way it kind of turns into your ear, you have kind of a small, medium and large uh, silicone ear gels that go onto it. And the way those mold and the way it kind of fits towards the top of your ear where the bigger base sits it does not fall out. I mean, I'm doing pretty extensive training and these things do not move out of my ear. Whereas the AirPods, and I had both the AirPods and AirPods, AirPods Pro would fall out continually. In fact, they would fall out on the lawnmower because the vibration sometimes would be too much. Not all the time, but if I had to lay down and do bench, they would fall out and you put them back in and they'd be fine. But these have not fallen out. Not one time. They, they have a really unique way of fitting inside of your ear and the way that they've weighted these is just near perfection. I work out at home, but maybe I might have to get these for home workouts too. That way, when I tell my kids that I'm busy, I can really be busy completely and yeah. can't answer questions with active noise cancellation. Exactly. You just put it on full active noise cancellation. Those kids will be screaming, which you know they're still alive. You might be able to hear a tinge of the screaming. And if they're screaming, they're fine. <laughs> they're fine. Yeah, that's right. It's the silence you have to worry about. <laughs> How expensive are these? I would assume if they're, you know, like special fit design, they're going to be more expensive than the AirPods. Now, I picked these up on eBay new. So they were new on eBay and I got a pretty good price on them. But you can pick them up on Jabra right now for 179 bucks. The new, if you wanted them new, the normal price is 229 these are not cheap. You are getting a very premium product for that money, something that will last you a really, really long time and something that's not stuck on a single platform like the AirPods are. So, you know, it's up to you if that's something that's important to you, to me, because I use them so often and it's so important to get into your workouts and things to have good music, good sound coming through with depth and you're kind of feeling it, um, but also the portability that you need and the, the amount of hours that you need to make sure that uh, you're not having getting into the gym and realizing your earbuds are dead, and so you're not going to be able to listen to any music, to me, it's well worth the price. I, I might look into it because I have some wireless earbuds that are... Eh, they're, they're not great. They're not terrible or either, but they're annoying enough for me to n just avoid them if I can. Like, I have them on my desk, and I don't remember the last time I tried to use them. Yeah, and the other thing you could come across with these, because that's a good point, is when you get the cheaper ones, they have connectivity issues a lot of times where they won't always connect to your device. I've had no problems connecting these. Every time I pull them out of the case, I shut off my car, or my phone goes through my car first. I shut off my car, open the case, 
put the earbuds in you're connected the music keeps playing from where i was in my car like it's every time it's in sync perfectly so they it's just really good software well written all the way around non-invasive check them out you should also check out the sponsor for today's episode that is digital ocean now it's the perfect time to dive into the digital ocean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps with, for way less money. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before with their simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Docker, static sites, container images, all of these support on the app platform. And by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. And as a Hardware Addicts listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free. Actually, it gets better than that because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN to sign up. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. In our main story this week, I want to talk about DDR5 RAM that just got announced. Everybody's getting all excited about it. And I'm sure some people are wondering, is it time for them to donate their DDR4 RAM or submit it to a museum? Is it too old to even use anymore now that we have DDR5? That's what a hardware addict thinks in my mind. Like as soon as, soon as something new comes out. Yeah. The second the replacement's out, that's when you got to switch. Yeah. And I've already shelled out tons of money for DDR4 RAM over the many upgrades that I was doing back before all the shortage happened. Now I've been kind of stuck because the prices just keep going up and up and up on memory. So I'm excited about DDR5. We're going to kind of get into it, explore some of the basics and talk about if it's something you should be excited about upgrading to. So starting with the basics, Michael, what does RAM stand for? This one I know, and I actually want you to ask me about DDR5 or DDR, yeah, DDR5 as well. Uh, but first to answer the RAM one, I do know this one. Random access memory. Good job, Michael. Random nice. access memory. Look at him. He, you know, he's still a Padawan, but it only took him like 30 seconds to come up with the answer. I'm pretty proud, Michael. I'm pretty proud right well, now. Well, I mean, it has to happen in Michael fashion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's got to build yeah, it exactly. up. Yeah. You got to have the suspense there, you know? And we know that random access memory is used for low latency temporary volatile storage capabilities volatile because it needs a constant flow of electricity and when that electricity goes away michael what happens i would assume it loses data it loses data so all the most important things your computer needs to access fast gets temporarily stored in your memory and anything permanent of course go into your storage disk like your ssd for example but then you've got the ddr portion you said you know what ddr means yes. so what's ddr yes. mean michael Dance, dance, revolution. Get ready. Um, wow. What? What? Wendy. Can you feel Wendy, the music, control him. Ryan? <laughs> I control can't. Control him, Wendy. I don't know why you're asking me to. You're the one who brought him on this show. You're right. It's not <laughs> DDR does not stand for dance, dance, revolution, Michael. It stands for. I could have sworn. I could have sworn. 
It stands for Double Data Rate Synchronous Dynamic Random Access Memory. Did you remember well, all that? That's why. That's a lot more words than the DDR. What <laughs> makes yeah, sense? But that's what it is. So it's right. now on its fifth generation. However, most are probably using DDR3 or DDR4 RAM currently. DDR5 is now out there. The double data and synchronous portions means it's in sync with the processor and transfers double the amount of data as SD RAM. You remember that term, SD RAM or single data rate RAM, double data rate, DDR, single data rate, SDR. Kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... The important thing is, is DDR5 worthy of an upgrade? Well, DDR4 typically ranges from 2133 to 4000 megahertz and beyond with overclocking. I think there's some overclock sticks now that kind of hit like 5000 or something, but that's a general range of 2133 megahertz to 4000 megahertz. There's also RAM you'll see rated in MTS or mega transfers per second, which is a measurement of the bus and channel speed in millions of effective cycles per second. But most people look at the megahertz of the RAM because they're used to that with their processors, so they like to kind of compare the two. Now, DDR5, by comparison, has a range starting at 4,800 megahertz. So remember, DDR4 typically can go up to 4,000, but starts at 2133. DDR5 is starting at 4,800, but goes all the way up to 6,400. Some are claiming it's going to get in excess of 8,000 megahertz with this new jump. So there's Whoa. some super, super speed advantage potential here with DDR5 RAMs. That's exciting. Yeah, I was watching someone else talk about this and the excitement of just being able to see this technology as not only are we getting a new generation, but we're not getting a new generation and then starting back down at the 2133 megahertz right. range. We get to pick this up at faster than what we've had. So not only is it a jump, we're having almost a double jump in this technology. A double data rate jump. There you go. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> you see what I did there? I thought you'd appreciate that. DDR5 also improves the channel architecture of the memory using two smaller channels rather than a single larger one to handle memory loss or handle memory access, that is, and less power consumption by about 10%, where DDR4 has a standard voltage of 1.2 volts. DDR5 will be content with just 1.1 volt, and they also improve the die density, so you can expect large capacities on a single stick, maybe 64 gigabytes, maybe 128 gigabytes. That what? would be a lot of fun to have in your machine if you could afford it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So you're saying like 128 per stick? Per yeah. stick. Maybe. That would be awesome. Okay, so there's got to be some downsides though, right? There, There's always at least a little bit of downsides. What's the, what's the caveat here? There are some downsides, but I want to caution people that there's a lot of content out there talking negatively about DDR5 because they're looking at iterations that are kind of just starting to get out there. And with any new rollout like this, you're going to have a bunch of companies ramping up their version, trying to get benchmarks out there. And some of those benchmarks are still wonky as they're kind of creating and perfecting this technology. 
One of the downsides, I think, right now, one of the legit ones is that you're going to need an Intel Alder Lake to take advantage of the DDR5 right now. So you're going to have to spend more money than you're already going to spend on the DDR5 for a new motherboard and a new CPU for the new generation of Intel processors out there if you want to go Intel. So to me, they're going to be the first to the market with DDR5, as I understand it. Because AMD is not coming until sometime in 2022, where they plan to do their AM5 next generation, where they'll have PCIe 5 and DDR5. But the rumor is that's not coming until 2022, uh, later in 2022, whereas Intel will kind of be first to market here with the DDR5. The nice thing about Intel with their DDR5 is that it's still going to be backwards compatible. So say you want to, you're already going to be updating to the newest Intel CPUs, you can stick with your DDR4 RAM until you're able to upgrade that as well. You can make the jump without having to have such a huge overhead with the Intel processors. I'm hoping to see Ryzen do the same thing. Right, that's a really good point. And Wendy, there's something really, really exciting about DDR5 meant just for you. So, the benchmarks are very impressive. Claims of up to 112% improvement in RAM performance over DDR4. However, they are saying that there's higher latency. So photographers, 3D renderers, perfection for DDR5. This is what DDR5 was made for. So someone like you who does lots of photography work on their machine, DDR5 is going to make a huge improvement in its current generation for gaming the jury's still out. I think it's still going to improve overall. I think people are exaggerating some of the latency being really, really bad because I think that's just going to get fixed over time and they're going to be able to balance those higher frequencies of DDR5 with the latency. But as the current state of the benchmarks out there, it doesn't look like it'll be as performant for DDR4. However, if you're a photographer, do 3D rendering and that type of work, you're going to absolutely want DDR5 in your machine. Yeah, and remember, this is just the first generation. So while it's best for photographers and 3D rendering now, that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way forever, which I would love to get my hands on this, maybe someday. I would love for you to get your hands on it, and Michael as well, with the issue he's running with uh, Video Ninja. It would be really interesting at some point to kind of see the differences because that's going to be a really heavy RAM utilization as well with a program like that. Um, yep. would get utilizing something like this in the future. So my suggestion right now, my recommendation, even as a hardware addict myself, even if you could find this stuff, which who knows if there will even be stock of it, is to wait on this for the companies to kind of figure out the, the latency issues, to figure out what frequencies they're all going to kind of standardize and stick around and make sure all of those problems are fixed before you go out and spend your hard-earned money on that. Unless you just can't help yourself, which I understand you. I get you. I've been there if you can't wait. But just know that it's out there right now. But for, for the moment, for the rest of everyone else, your DDR4 is just fast enough, is just fine. Uh, it's going to serve you for a long time to come. It's safe from being inducted into a museum, at least for the moment. And of course, you have AMD, which will be coming out with their PCIe 5, which I'm excited about, and the DDR5 combos. What we do know for sure Computers, believe it or not, are going to get much, much faster over the years to come. Shocking, I know. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. 
Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager I have chosen to use because it is open source. You can self-host it, plus they do security audits and share all of that information with you. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, you're going to want that premium account. What comes with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. All of this starting at just $10 per year. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you're really going to want to show your appreciation for this amazing open source project and get that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitmorton for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner for part two of using that camera in your pocket. What do we need to know? We covered so much last time. And one of the last things we were hitting on was the digital zoom is not your friend. There are some cameras out there that have some optical zoom, but this one really came up and Magneto said, you know, you've got to tell the backstory because he's the one who brought me this topic. He'd been out in the mountains. He was looking for deer, sitting down to have a snack, and he looks up and there is this black bear sitting in surrounded by bushes, just shoveling berries into his mouth. And my husband, after, you know, he realized the bear hadn't noticed him, was like, this is really, really cool. I'm going to get a picture of this awesome bear. He used that digital zoom. And while he has a great memory of seeing the bear, nobody could really (laughs) tell what it was that he was taking a picture of. Oh, no. Great experience for him. But we got to hear the story and got to see a blur of black mass. And I'm like, do we yeah, really believe him? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Do we believe him, Wendy? Or is this like the fish story where fishermen are like, "My, I caught a fish and it was this big. And you, maybe it wasn't a bear at all. Maybe it was just a little fox and he was exaggerating. We'll never know because his digital zoom failed him. I, I believe him that it actually was a black bear because when he's telling the story, he's talking about the sheer panic that he has in the beginning when he's like, oh my gosh, there's a bear. <laughs> And bears don't have anything metal in them, so there's no way he can protect himself with his magnetic powers. I see why he was exactly. Yeah, that doesn't work for Magneto. So this is just a reminder from last week: the digital zoom is not your friend. It's just cropping those pixels that you are using on your phone camera already. It's not going to make anything clear. It's just going to make for a mess. So if you can't get it closer, so in this case, he's not going to be getting closer to the bear. He doesn't have a quote-unquote real camera with him in order to take the picture with multiple lenses. So go ahead, take the shot at the stock distance that you have, so at least you're preserving that in the whole scope of things. And then you can use your fingers to kind of zoom in and out and hopefully get some additional detail but zooming all the way in with your digital zoom is not going to make for 
a better picture in the end. Speaking of making a better picture in the end, the rule of thirds or composition. Most of your stock apps, maybe even some of those extra apps that you can get for your phones have different lines that you can use to set up those images. There's multiple ways of doing it, but rule of thirds is one of the most popular ones. It's one of the easiest and most phones have those set up. I know this, Wendy. I know this. I'm going to help out here. The rule of thirds is Michael gets one third of the pizza. I get two thirds of the pizza. Yes. <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> oh, yeah. Dang it. What are we going to do now? That's I okay. Guess we're split it in I thirds. don't eat regular pizza because it's got gluten in it. So you can have oh, it all. Okay. Thanks. You're safe. You're welcome. Pizza hog. <laughs> right. Exactly. So selfish. <laughs> No, this rule of thirds is not how we divide up a pizza. It is how you divide up your frame. So if you divide your sensor into three sections across and then three sections down, you'll end up with four points where you have those lines crossing. And that's typically where you want to keep your subject in. Sometimes you're wanting your subject in that upper third, sometimes you're wanting them lower. Say you're taking a picture of a person, you're wanting to keep their eyes on that upper third line and them in the center of the frame. So there is a little bit of nuance and different things that you can use as you are formulating that. But having this rule, setting up composition and thinking of it overall makes for a better, more interesting image if things aren't always in the center of your frame. Sometimes having things maybe towards the bottom and the right and being able to see what's going on around, say, that animal, that child, gives more context, gives more feeling, gives more expression to your image. So not everything always has to stay in the center. Let me give you an example here. You're on a beach. You want to take a picture of an idiot. Maybe they're out there like, being an idiot and you want to get the beach and the idiot in all in one frame, but you want a good composed picture. Now, normally I would put the idiot in the middle of my camera, right? They'd be right in the middle and I'd snap my picture, but that doesn't get you the beach thing. So is it better to put the idiot like in the corner, right-hand corner and the rest of the frame goes towards the picture or how do you compose a shot like that? Well, this is depending on what the idiot's doing. If they're doing something really funny, or in this case, really dumb, then you're going to want them body-wise or the action facing towards the center. So whether you put them right or left really depends on which direction they're facing, but you always want them facing towards the center and the extra space in front of them. So if something is running, if they're running, you're going to want that open space in front of them so you can see context of where they're going If you put them in the frame, say they're headed towards the left side of your frame and you put them on the left so you have all the blank space in behind, you're like, yeah, they're doing something, but I've got no idea where they're going. It kind of messes with your brain. So where you put them really depends on which direction they're going. And if you want all their body, part of their body, that's kind of a decision call based on what else is going on around them and how much of that frame you need to tell the story. That really helps me. So when I take Michael to the beach, I know how I to I knew it. it. I knew it. 
I knew the entire setup was just that. So first, he won't share the pizza with you, and then he calls you an idiot on the beach. Holy cow, who needs enemies well, when you got friends like Ryan? Exactly. He, he accepted one third of the pizza, so. I didn't I accept mean, anything. Kind of an idiot. I, you had sardines on that pizza. That's disgusting. <laughs> Delicious. Ugh. I have to agree with Michael on this. Sardines are gross. You can keep your sardine pizza. This is the person who likes spiders. I'm not I'm not feeling judged by you. <laughs> Touche, pussycat. <laughs> so back to the rule of thirds. Are you saying that uh most or at least typically uh, camera apps will have a like a grid you can overlay for the rule of thirds? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes you can find those on the basic settings around the main user interface of your camera. Sometimes you have to go deeper into the settings where you set your image quality and that kind of thing in order to find the grids. This is one of those going back to know your camera app. Spend the time figuring out what all of those symbols mean everything that is in the deeper dive of settings in your camera so that if you are wanting to take a composed image, you can do that knowing where that setting is instead of thinking, hey, that would be really cool, but I need to get this image quick and I don't have time to pull it up. So this is one of those reasons why you need to know your camera app and figure out where that setting is in your camera. It's going to be different for pretty much any brand of phone. The last major tip is stabilize if you're in the dark. Your camera shutter speed is going to slow down. It doesn't matter if it's one of the super new phone cameras that's got the additional help for the dark, your shutter speed's still gonna slow down. So if there is a lot of movement or action going on inside that frame at the time, then you're probably going to get some motion blur inside it. If you've got a little tripod and they do make phone attachments for tripods, this is where you're going to want to use one of those if you have one. If not, make sure you're stabilizing your body, leaning against something so that there is less movement inside that frame as you're taking the picture. Additional stabilization is best if you have it. Of course, not always do you have it, especially if you're just using the phone in your pocket. So brace yourself, lean against the wall, both hands to hold the device. Stabilize in the dark. That's just one of those things that it doesn't matter how great phone cameras get. That shutter speed just has to slow down to gather more light. We talked about this on a little bit last time, and that is that there's other camera apps out there. This week, I don't have any super great recommendations for you. There are so many. You're just going to have to trial and error and figure out which of the software works best for your phone and the camera that you have. But again, I'm going to touch on this fact. Look at what permissions the apps are asking for. Sometimes yes. it's not just access to your camera. Sometimes they want access to all kinds of crazy things, stuff that is going on all the time, even in the background. So have fun exploring the camera apps, but make sure you are checking out the permissions first. 
Well, that is awesome advice, Wendy, out there, especially the permissions part. I have seen so many camera apps out there that are basically malware when you look at their permissions that they're asking for. But all of this to help everybody get better pictures out of the camera that you carry around with you every day in your pocket. And that's it. Our 46th episode of Hardware Addicts is now a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network to check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners that are available there. There's so much to fill your brains with. And while you're there, make sure you leave a rating in your favorite podcasting app, or if you're watching on YouTube, give it that thumbs up, heart it, get those notifications on, help support all of this work here. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another double data rate, synchronous, dynamic, random access episode of Hardware Addicts. Nice. <laughs>